Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's good to have a worship team here bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Hey, Chris, uh, what was the song before the last one? Um, it is well. Let's do it as well at the end. I just really feel the presence of the Lord on that song. Hey, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one that demonstrates yourself when a preacher preaches. We thank you, God, that this really is about a demonstration of how the Spirit of God can control a man's mind and his heart. This is really not about eloquence of speech or insight, but this is really about how God can use people. God, you use people to write the words of Scripture, and now, God, I pray that you would use me. As we come to the end of this series, Lord, I pray that we would learn how to follow you every day. We ask this in Christ's name. We do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have. We've come to the end of our series called Follow, and it's really important that we make series like this because we really want to get into the hearts of our people a clear description of following Jesus every day of our life. Jesus, by God's grace, gives us pictures of what it's like to follow him every day. And so we've talked about several things. I think we have a slide up here. In this series, we've talked about how following Jesus really is an invitation into relationship. And how it's not just about rule keeping or looking a certain way. But it is actually about being in a relationship with someone who loves you and longs for you to be talking with them, being with them on a daily basis. And then we also talked about the prerequisite of this relationship is that you're a sinner. So your sin should not make you want to run away from him because that's the basis of your relationship. So it doesn't matter where you are today, if you're a person where you're really not sure where you're at with the Lord, you're not even sure if you're considering yourself a Christian, but you know you do some things wrong, well, Jesus is attracted to you because he's attracted to sinners. And it's a prerequisite to be a sinner and be in a relationship with him. But you may be someone who's stumbling over sin day after day, and you feel like you're getting farther from the Lord, but realize this, Matthew, the tax collector, the person who was steeped in sin, Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. He says that to you as well, wherever you're at today. He still longs for you to follow him. We said the goal of this kind of following mentality is a faith that will overwhelm your fears. And we looked at how Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. And there were winds and there were waves. And yet Jesus says three words, peace, be still, and everything changes. And so he was surprised by the lack of faith. And so what that teaches us is he's always leading us to a faith that overwhelms our fears and irrational courage. Amen. A courage in him that would seem crazy to others, but you trust in your Lord and your God. And then we said that following also means denying yourself. And when you follow Jesus, you're going to have to learn to tell yourself no. Because there's things that Jesus may not be agreeing about how he would do things and how you would do things. And so you must not, uh, to, to accept Jesus fully, you must reject certain things that you will want to do. And then we said there's a certain way that followers dress. And we use an analogy, PG Chick Flick. I wonder if some of us remember what that analogy is for the Lord. All right, well, basically it was a picture of what Paul talks about in Colossians, how we are to put on love. And we were describing patience and gentleness and compassion and humility. We went on and on, but we were describing love. But the public evidence of Christianity is not our knowledge. It's not our attendance. The public evidence of Christianity is love. And that's how you know that you are a follower. And last week we said following means taking initiative for the benefit of others. So if you are a follower of Jesus, 
You are a leader because you long to be a servant. Jesus was a servant leader. In Mark 10, 45, he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom. So Jesus, his last act before he would resurrect was dying on a cross. And it was him dying in our place. Him serving us for our benefit. So he took initiative for our benefit. Well, this last <clears throat> message is maybe the most important message because it's something that we will all be tempted to do. It's a moment that we'll all have in our life. And it's a moment that we actually get uh, tempted to do also on social media. So we have this uh, image up here, right? And so um, I, I learned this probably about a month or two ago. But um, so on social media, like on Facebook, they've created this way where if you meet somebody and you're cool with them and you're friends with them, you become friends on Facebook. But after about a few months, you start looking in your newsfeed and they're posting things you don't want to see anymore. They've hooked you up. You can still remain friends with them, but you can unfollow them. So what that means is all their words won't be in your newsfeed anymore. Publicly, you're still friends, but privately, you don't listen to anything they say. <laughs> you don't want the awkwardness of seeing them again, and they look at your pictures, and they said, and it says, maybe you should be friends. You know that button that says you should be friends? They don't want that feeling. You want a public allegiance, but privately, you don't want to be irritated by it. You'll have that same temptation with Jesus. Publicly, I love Jesus. He's my friend. Jesus, me and Jesus are tight. But I don't follow everything he says because it's kind of interrupting the things I want to do. Our story that we see this picture of unfollowing yet still trying to maintain a friendship is seen in John chapter 6. Feel free to go there if you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can look up on the screen. But in John chapter 6, I want to summarize a bit for you what this picture of unfollowing is going to look like, and you will be tempted with this. John chapter 6, Jesus does this incredible miracle, the one miracle that is actually pictured in all four Gospels. It is the miracle of feeding 5,000. Now, if you really count, there were probably tens to 20,000 some people there. But Jesus feeds all these people, and he has two fish, five loaves, and all of a sudden he blesses all the people with incredible food. It says that in John 6, 15, that Jesus is told by all the people, we want you to become king. Goodness gracious. If you can turn two fish and five loaves into all this food, then I would love to see what you would be like if you were king. So the people start asking him, promoting him to be king. Well, Jesus moves away and he goes to this little town called Capernaum, and it's over by the Sea of Galilee, and the people keep requesting another sign. They want him to do that food thing again. Do that fish and five loaves thing again. Now realize that in the Old Testament, there was this story of how Moses was guiding the people of God through the wilderness. And one of the signs that God was there was that God would feed his people. And he would send bread down from heaven. It was called manna. And so every day there was bread coming from heaven. And so the people that were following Jesus 
thought to themselves, wow, remember that time Jesus gave us all fish and bread? Well, if you're a miracle worker, why don't you be like Moses and you give us bread every day like he did? We don't want to go out to the market. We like to follow you because we know we can get good things if we follow you. Do it, miracle worker. We know you can do it. Fish and five loaves every day. Costco for Christ. We want you, Jesus. Well, every day they want him to follow. They want to see this amazing miracle. And so Jesus decided to use this prodding of miracle working as a teachable moment. And Jesus flips the script. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. <laughs> and then in verse 38, he says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And they think to themselves now, in, in relationship to where he was born and where they are, they know Jesus. And they knew Jesus when he was a little boy. So they say this in verse 42. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? We know your parents. How can he, keyword, now? How can he now say, I came from heaven? How do you want to say you came from heaven when you came from Mary and Joseph? We remember, we know your family. You're not special. Do the miracles. Get out of this whole heaven stuff. You're from Nazareth. Act like it. And so he says this, or they say this to him, and in an effort to explain himself further, Jesus says this. He says in John 6, 54 and 55, remember the initial statement Jesus said in verse 35 was, I'm the bread of life. Well, verse 54, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The sermon just got real weird. <laughs> it's got real awkward. I remember when Jesus was talking about eating fish and food. And now Jesus is talking about eating him. <laughs> Where are we going with this? Now, any white-minded person, you don't have to be spiritual or non-spiritual to realize what they may be thinking this is alluding to. But Jesus was talking about food from heaven. He was doing that, and now he's talking about cannibalism. <laughs> what are we really doing? Why are we following you? So the sermon is getting awkward. Now, the disciples are thinking, don't lose the crowd. They were just wanting you to be the king. Remember last week's sermon, remember what, the, remember what the disciples like? They love the right and the left thing. They love the paparazzi people, being on the red carpet. They love the feeling of Jesus' popularity. And the things you're saying right now, Jesus, aren't popular. Chill. We're losing the crowd. Losing our popularity. Turn down this blood and flesh stuff. But if you are a Christian, or even if you've hung out with us for a while, you'll know that once a month we partake in this thing called communion. And communion is when we actually take a cup and we'll put juice in it, someone put wine in it, and we have bread. And we know that this is symbolism, we know this is symbolic of receiving the sacrifice of Christ for ourselves. 
as we eat the bread and as we drink from the cup, we are saying your sacrifice on the cross, your body and your blood, I receive that for my eternal life. But they didn't want to hear the whole story. They just got caught up in this part. And so in John 6 and 60, on hearing it, as many of his disciples said, it's a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now the word accept it means who can listen to this? Who can take this? This is too much. It's too overwhelming. And when it says many of the disciples understand the way that the term disciples is, is that there were 12 disciples, they were also called apostles, but then there were 70 disciples that Jesus would send out, and then there were what you call the general disciples. And the general disciples were 5,000, tens of thousands of people who loved the sermons on the mounts, the big teaching moments. They loved the healings, and they loved the miracles. So they followed Jesus through the high moments. And so... They don't want to be associated with this hard teaching. And so in verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, this is the this venue. You offended by this? The word offended. Are you shocked? Is this a stumbling block for you? This bothering you? Because what I'm saying about you, notice Jesus didn't keep explaining himself. He looked at his disciples and said, wait a minute, you get, are you getting afraid of what I'm going to next? And so in verse 30, 63 through 65 of John, this is what Jesus says. He says, the words I have spoken to you, my words, they are full of the Spirit and life. But there are some of you that don't believe Notice, Jesus is saying that my words are life-giving. My words are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit and His power. My words will benefit your life. Jesus is saying, my pro you, your problem isn't my analogy. Your problem is your belief in me. My analogy isn't tripping you up. Your problem is me. Notice the connection. Look there. He says, my words full of the spirit and life. And he says, yet some of you don't believe. He didn't say, yet some of you don't get what I'm saying. He says, you don't believe in me. And hence, it's tripping you up. What I'm saying is tripping you up. Because my words are good. I'm not, worried, I'm not worried about that. My words will speak power to your life. No, you, you don't believe in me. And so, John 6, the 66. If you've never seen this verse, Put it down in your Bible. Notice what he's saying. From this time, from this point right here, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. We love the miracles, Jesus. Thank you for the food. That bread thing was amazing. He turned water into wine one time. He walked on Water. This guy heals lepers. Jesus is amazing. I love the miracles. And I'll be back for the next miracle. But this right here, I can't get with. It's a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And so they say, this is too strange. 
and I'm going to unfollow. We're still friends, but your words, they're interrupting me, and I, I'm going to just slowly unfollow. And I think that what we can probably tell from the text is that they probably didn't run away. They probably didn't put up a big picket sign and say, this word that you're saying are crazy. They probably just slowly moved to the back. You know how people do when they sneak away? You know what I'm talking about. And they just kind of move quietly through the crowd and walk away. The apostles were paying attention to this, the 12. They were paying attention to all this. They were watching and listening and seeing how the crowd was dwindling. And they began to wonder to themselves, maybe we should unfollow Jesus too. This is becoming unpopular. This wasn't as cool as it was. And maybe we should disappear in the crowd too. And so John 6.67, feel the weight of his words. You don't want to be too, do you? So the thing about Facebook is you unfollow them and they don't know, but Jesus knows. Jesus looks at them and says, you don't believe too. I know you're thinking about it. I know things aren't going the way you thought they would. I know things aren't working out. But you're not going to leave too. I know they're leaving, but you? You too? So they knew, he knew their hearts. That was an amazing thing about Jesus. He knew the hearts of people. Following Jesus had become inconvenient, embarrassing, and costly. Unpopular. And following Jesus seemingly had caused more problems than more, than, than more of a benefit. So I'm going to slowly fade to the back. And I'm just going to unfollow. If the disciples were tempted with this, you would be tempted with this as well. You'll be tempted to slowly fade to the back and not openly say that I'm not a Christian or I don't want Jesus, but quietly you'll just move away. You'll be tempted with this. I know this in my own walk with God. I remember I was pastoring a church. I was pastoring a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as I was pastoring there, you know, I'm from New York, and so I'm used to people being a little bit more open and free. And, and when I was down there, one thing that Christians in the South were very clear on was what you're not supposed to do. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't go to the club. Don't cuss. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it became overwhelming because all people wanted to talk about was what you weren't supposed to do as a Christian. But what were we about? And we were so restrictive. So awkward. No freedom. And so there was this dude I was uh, witnessing to at the gym. I was just sharing my faith with him every now and then. His name was Scott. And Scott one night, it was a Saturday night, right before church the next day, and Scott invited me out to uh, his 40th birthday party. And soon we went out with all his friends. His friends were turned all the way up. Amazing. I mean, they laughed at everything. And they're passing all types of drinks. And then he keeps up saying, I'm the pastor. I'm like, I don't even know. They're like, oh, okay, sorry for you. And everybody just having a great time. And they're having so much fun. And this is the crazy part. There was a part of me that said, man, I like being here more on Saturday night than what I'm going to get on Sunday morning. These people seem more free than us. 
They seem to be having more fun. And I kind of like being around them. I kind of like associating myself with them. And I thought to myself, I was 32 years old, and I thought to myself, is this what I'm going to do the rest of my life? Be kind of a superintendent of Christians? Kind of just manage and monitor your walk? How much you come to church? How much did you drink? Did you really drink? Is that my job? Is that going to be me? Am I the chief restrictor? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Does it take all that? And I felt this temptation to just punt everything. And when I ended up leaving that church, they said, you know, we, my wife was like, when are you going to get in the church out? I was like, I don't know if I want to be around Christians. <laughs> I'm not convinced I want to be around Christian people. But I still was going to be a Christian. I just didn't want all that came with it. And if I was tempted, and if the disciples were tempted, and if the 70 were tempted, and if the 12 were tempted, the people that were with Jesus Christ every day for three years, if they were tempted, you best believe you will be tempted. Tell them Before we get to Peter's response in John 6 and 68, I just want to give a window into the ways that you'll be pulled out to unfollow the Lord. Three quick ways, I think we have them up on the screen. There will be transition, there will be trials, there will be temptation. Transition, trials, or temptation. Transition because whenever you go into a new environment where people don't care about Jesus like they used to care about Jesus, you have to now redefine your faith. And you have to ask yourself, was my faith based upon the environment or based upon what was in my heart? And when you get alone and Christ becomes inconvenient, does he still matter as much? And it's not that you don't think it's true. It's not that you don't believe in Jesus. It's not that you don't believe. It's that your friends don't. It's that the people around you don't have the same energy. They don't have the same passion. And it could be a, it could be a new job. It could be a new location. No, but it's, 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 you're in a new environment. And that new environment is not testing what you really believe. Man, I know this to be true. I did college ministry for years. College ministry. For years. I saw freshmen come in every year. We had this one guy. I used to work at a Howard University, Washington, D.C. And uh, while I was working there, um, this one kid came on campus. His name was Reverend Jones. That. He wanted me to call him Reverend Jones. <laughs> he came, he would be in class every, every day. He had these long, bright suits. It was, this was in 2000, so you know, he had these long, bright suits, and he would come to school every day. And I'm like, hey, what's going on, Re Re oh, Reverend Jones? And he had that kind of Reverend thing, like, how you doing? <laughs> very, very religious. And I was like, wow, man, this dude is on fire. 
Every day. Reverend Jones. Every day. Reverend Jones. Reverend Jones. Three months later, I see Reverend Jones. <laughs> and I look, and his pants are kind of sagging. He's got a, uh, I don't want to say white beard. What's another one? T-shirt. You know what I'm talking about. So, one of them t-shirts where you can see your arms. He has the white shirt, and he's got the, he's got, he's got his agony, he's got his boots, he's got a hound backwards. And I was like, hey, I said, Reverend Jones, he said, call me Bobby. Call me Bobby. And I was like, what happened to Reverend Jones? Everything changed once he got out of the environment. His faith really, I'm not saying he wasn't a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about right now. What I'm saying is his faith was predicated on the people around him. And once you got him out of that environment, his faith began to dwindle. And you will be tested with that. Transition. Some of you have felt that coming to New York City. Some of you have felt that growing up and going to college. Some of you have felt that tension. Of, you can redefine who you are in a new environment. Not only transition, but trials. When things aren't going the way you thought they would. When God does not seem to be coming through the way we thought he would, we begin to doubt his love for us, his care for us, and his presence in our life. And we suddenly begin to stop believing because of everything going on around us and we begin to dwindle in hope. Our prayers are not as effective as they used to be. People aren't spurring us on like they used to. The word 